Hey, South and City Church, welcome to the podcast. Uh, some of you are regular podcast listeners, but uh, perhaps you're tuning in because you were going to be at a gathering this week. And uh, as you're probably aware now, uh, we, like many communities around the world, are suspending our gathering together in person as an effort to uh, do our part as we try to flatten the curve, as they're saying, and uh, slow the spread of coronavirus. Um, so we're going to get into a teaching in a moment, and we're going to keep talking about the things that we began for our Lenten series a couple of weeks ago. Um, but before we get into that, a couple of things. Uh, one, um, hey, whatever you're feeling right now with uh, everything going on with coronavirus, um, I just want to encourage you. Um, some are genuinely really vulnerable right now, right? There are parts of our population and the population around the world uh, for whom this is like really legitimately scary because uh, it's a real threat to them. Uh, if that's you or someone you love, um, we just, we see you and we are carrying you with us in our hearts. Um, but if it's not you or you're not super close to that and yet you're dealing with maybe kids who are in school and now you've got to figure out how to do your own work while you take care of your kids that aren't in class or maybe your income is being threatened uh, because maybe you work a job that doesn't have hours for you right now while everything's shutting down. Um, we just know there's a bunch of ways that this is playing out. And I, I want to say, like, uh, we feel that as a community. And we're going to look for ways in the next few weeks and months to love each other really well and really tangibly. And so our team is working on all of that. Uh, but in the meantime, we would have been getting together on a Thursday night or a Sunday morning, and we can't do that in person. Uh, so instead, this podcast is coming to you first thing Sunday. And uh, I'm like so happy that community is going to happen in that sort of strange, decentralized way. Um, before I get into it, though, a couple of notes. Uh, it's always a good thing to be a part of the church newsletter. Uh, but right now, that's especially helpful if you want to stay tuned into what's happening. So go to southpincitychurch.com and just scroll down that front page on our website and you'll see a place where you can sign up for the newsletter. And that'll be a way for you to know like what's going on with, you know, whenever gatherings are back together. But in the meantime, we're going to be looking for ways that we can love one another and our city uh, tangibly and actively. And the newsletter is going to be one of the best places for you to find out about that. So make sure you tune in. Uh, also, if we had had our gatherings this week, the plan was that we were going to use everything given in the gatherings in terms of finances was going to go to some sister churches in Nashville uh, because this might seem like a little while ago for some of us who weren't there. But that tornado came through and wreaked some devastating damage and uh, took life and injured. And uh, we wanted to send some financial support to a couple of churches down there, Crosspoint and Church of the City East Nashville, so that they could deploy those funds wherever they're needed most. So we're not in person this week, which means that we can't give in our gathering, but we don't want to back down on that commitment. So uh, anything you would have given in our gathering this week, if you would just go to southpincitychurch.com slash give, and then when you go through the, the link there, you're going to see a chance to pick a fund. And instead of general, just select Nashville Tornado Response and then uh, give whatever you want to give. And then we're going to keep that open through the end of the week. That's Friday, March 20th. And everything given to that fund by Friday, we're going to gather that and then send it down to Nashville. So we'd love for you to do that. Uh, since we're talking about giving, <laughs> I'd be kind of negligent uh, as the pastor of a community to not mention um, that for us, like most of our expenses don't change just because we're not gathering, right? Um, so if financial support is a regular part of your practice with South and City Church, we'd love to encourage you to keep doing that. Uh, go to that same link at southandcitychurch.com slash give and just select general fund. And that'll be a way that we can keep living up to our commitments as a community through all this too. 
Cool. Uh, that being said, hey, let's get to the, the stuff that we are going to talk about this week. Uh, we began with Lent uh, talking about the sacred fire. And by that, we, we mean the holiness of God and the holiness that God is trying to name and call out in us. And uh, we began a couple of weeks ago, uh, we've talked about some of the problems with holiness, some of the ways that word can be used really small, some of the ways it can be used um, to perhaps build a box that you can't even fit in and you have to contort yourself in some kind of unholy way to fit into that category in the way that people use it. But we also recognize that like the Bible can't get away from that word. It's, the, it's this um, powerful word that shows up again and again, holy. You know, the prophet Isaiah has that vision in Isaiah uh, chapter 6. And he hears the, those sort of angelic creatures crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? And uh, just as in the Old Testament, God speaks to Israel and says, I am holy and you shall be holy. In the New Testament, we read uh, letters to the church where the writers say, Hey, again, as God is holy, you church, like holy is a word for what you are here for and for how you should show up in the world. And so, uh, so we've been working on this idea. A couple of weeks ago, I offered a definition of it, like what is holiness? And the definition that I offered, um, perhaps a little bit uh, unconventional, um, but I think deeply grounded in scripture and theology. And the definition that I offered was that holiness might be considered being present to the presence of God. And uh, we talked a little bit about why that would be a definition for holiness and what it might mean to, to live that out a little bit. This week, I want to turn to a more common translation. So if, if you grew up in church or you heard like people teaching about holiness, uh, I'm guessing the definition that you heard was that holiness means to be set apart. And maybe you heard people talking about like Hebrew root words like kadosh or um like the idea that God is set apart and we're supposed to be set apart. So maybe you've heard that before. And maybe it sounds really good at first. Like you hear set apart. Yeah, like we're supposed to be special, distinct. You know, we're supposed to be sort of unique. But if you start to work it out, you bump into all these questions, right? Like, okay, so set apart, but set apart from what? Right? Like you could say set apart from the world. But okay, what does that mean? Is the world just like everything out there? Or is it a certain way of being that we're supposed to be different from? Is this arbitrary? Do we just look for arbitrary differences between us and for people who like don't claim a sort of faith identity like we have? Or you could ask like, why are we set apart? Like, what's the purpose for this? Or like, what are we set apart from? Or what are we set apart for, right? And if we're supposed to be set apart because God is set apart, well, in what way is God set apart? Because it's not like we believe that God vacates certain places, right? I mean, like you can read in the scripture that Christ fills everything everywhere with his presence. Uh, during, the, during the teaching a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the Bible has a word for places and people where you don't expect to find God. And that word is cursed. But then we looked at how in Jesus' death, Jesus enters into a cursed space because the scriptures talk about how a man who hangs on a cross is cursed. But then that means in the Jesus story that God is located in a cursed place. So like even there, like, like the, the story seems to be saying again and again, like God, God's everywhere. It doesn't vacate places or stories or lives. Um, but somehow God's still set apart. Like what, what could that possibly mean? So you have all these questions and then there's this temptation um, to like translate holiness into legalism or just an obsession with behavior or it can get really judgmental or legalistic. 
And with all that, then maybe the temptation is, is to kind of pivot away from it and be like, maybe we should just throw the category out the door, right? But I think there's actually a problem with that. And to get to the problem with, with like getting rid of the idea of holiness or just kind of shrugging our shoulders and moving on, uh, if we were in our gathering right now, I had this brilliant clip I was going to show you, but I can't do that because we're not in our gathering. So let me talk you through it. Uh, and a friend of mine shared this idea with me, actually a pastor friend of mine who was talking about his church and they were asking some of the same questions that we were asking. And he referred to this movie and I just thought it was a brilliant reference. So let me see if I can kind of take you there in your mind. Have you seen the movie Mean Girls? If you haven't, and if you're like stuck at home and uh, you're like coronavirus quarantined, great moment, hit pause on the podcast, go watch the whole movie, then come back. But if you're not gonna do that, or maybe you've already seen it, uh, you might know where I'm going with this. Uh, so the movie Mean Girls, uh, these high school girls, and they're kind of mean. And uh, uh, some of the girls, they go over to one of the girls' homes one day, and the girl's mom is there too. And she's the cool mom. And I don't mean that in a good way. So the cool mom is played by Amy Poehler, and she's brilliant, and you got to watch the scene yourself. Uh, but the girls come over, and you immediately can just tell that this mom is desperately trying to be one of the girls, like one of her high school girls' uh, friends, right? So she dresses like them. And she goes out of her way to make sure they know that she doesn't have any standards, right? Like I'm one of the, I'm the cool mom. You do whatever you want here. No rules here, you know, right? And then a little bit later, the high school girls are up in, in the one girl's room and the mom comes up and she's got a tray full of drinks and they're in these martini or like margarita glasses. And one of the other girls looks at the mom and asks like, are, is there alcohol in these? And the mom at first is like, no, of course not. And then she looks and she says, oh, but I can totally do that for you if you'd like. Right, and you're watching the whole thing cringing. And you know why you're cringing, right? Because like that's not what a mom's supposed to be. There's nothing cool about a mom who's like afraid of being a mom, right? And if you sit back and you think about it for a minute, you, you could genuinely realize like the problem with a mom is she's not willing to be set apart. Like she's trying to dissolve any of the things that ought to distinguish her from her high school daughter and the daughter's friends. And she's sort of merging into what they are being. And it's kind of sad. And it's kind of cringeworthy. And it's clear that she doesn't want to be set apart. But the, the right thing for her would be, a, be to be a mom, right? Uh, and my, my pastor buddy of mine, he was talking about how in their church, they, um, they had a lot of the concerns that Sapin City Church has, right? Like, we don't want to be legalistic. We don't want to judge from a distance. We don't want to obsess over behavior when we're more concerned about the heart. So we have all these, these feelings, right? And we've seen how hurt people can be when churches uh, appoint themselves as like the police in people's lives, right? So, we, so we've seen how that's a problem. And he was telling me that their church had, had observed that. But the way he described it to me was then we realized we kind of got to a point where we were like cool mom church for mean girls and how that wasn't great either, right? Because that certainly falls short of something that we are supposed to be. So, so here's what I want to propose. Like set apart is clearly there in the category of holiness. And um, I think there's a way of understanding it that, that, that's really powerful and that would matter for us. And it's not about legalism or judgmentalism, but it's really potent for, for the journey that we want to be on if we're going to follow Jesus in the way of grace and peace. So let me go back to uh, the Old Testament, to the Hebrew scriptures, specifically to, to the place in the Bible where the word holy shows up a bunch, because I think we can observe something 
uh, in those texts that will help us get to the set apart stuff in a way that's really powerful and meaningful and not just judgmental and annoying, right? Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, like in the New Testament, Paul writes and says to the church, hey, you should be holy as God is holy. But Paul's a good Jew who's writing with a deep knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures. And so when he sort of carries that idea forward from the Hebrew scriptures, we can go back to the places uh, in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew scriptures where holiness is a big idea and we can learn something from it, right? So one of the places in the Bible where it shows up a lot, this word holy, in fact, you could kind of call it ground zero for holiness in the Bible. Uh, this is a, a passage in the book of Leviticus and specifically chapters 17 through 26. And that passage in Leviticus is often called by scholars, the holiness code. And the reason they say that is, well, there's a couple of reasons, but one is it actually just talks about holiness a bunch. And if you read um, Leviticus 17 to 26 and you observe what's going on there, I mean, there's lots of stuff. There's sacrifices and, and rules and rituals and all this stuff, right? But let me zero in on, um, now this might get a little bit weird, but hang with me. Let me zero in on some of the substances that the law is really concerned with. And in particular, you're going to observe, uh, and I know you may not have been expecting to hear this conversation on the podcast this morning, but you may observe that in particular, the law really, really cares about blood, semen, and menstrual fluid. Now, here's the thing, right? We're talking about a text from thousands of years ago. This is a time and a place and a culture where if people want to communicate meaning, they're not going to write like an essay with a thesis statement, right? Rather, they're going to talk about flesh and blood and dirt. They're going to talk uh, about rituals and practices and embodied ways of bearing meaning in the world, right? And so for people who aren't going to write this tidy kind of sterile little essay or something, but are rather going to embed meaning in the very physical everyday lives that they experience, when you hear them talking about blood and semen and menstrual fluid, um, they may not have a modern understanding of uh, physiology or reproduction, but you better believe these people know that those substances, those body fluids, if you will, are deeply connected to life. That, that, that blood and semen and menstrual fluid are somehow like they carry life. They're a part of the process of continuing life and renewing life and new life. And so, um, for example, when you see blood outside the body, like it's spilled, rather somebody dies or they're cut, uh, you can relate that there would be this um, sort of existential awareness that life is being dissipated, that life is being uh, diminished, that life is at stake, or that life is at risk, right? So something's going on here in the holiness code with, with life and a concern about preserving it, about channeling its energies and, and maintaining them within the containers where they belong and not having them fall outside of those containers, if you get that right. Uh, how about this? Uh, another concern in the law is that when you eat an animal, you do not eat the animal with the blood still in it. And the text says that the reason you don't do that is because the nefesh is in the blood. And the nefesh in the Hebrew uh, ends up being translated sometimes as soul and sometimes as vital spirit Be because the vitality of the animal is in the blood. That's why you don't consume that. 
So you have uh, all this um, stuff around these, these body fluids. And it seems that what's really uh, the concern here is the preservation, the, the proper place of the vital spirit or of life. Now we could go on. It's not just uh, these like fluids or chemicals, right? But like at the end of Deuteronomy, which is the sort of end of all this um, Torah stuff, this law for the Israelites, uh, God has been telling the Israelites, you know, do these things, don't do these things, participate in this, don't participate in that, practice these rituals, do these rituals in this way. Uh, it's everything from the ethical to the, the ceremonial. But at the end of the whole code, after page after page after page of telling the Israelites what is holy and what is not, the summary statement that God gives the Israelites is, I have set before you life and death. Now choose life. Again, like this, this text actually seems obsessed with life or the vital spirit or the vitality of everything. That's what the text about holiness seems to care about, right? Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and he says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And then later in one of the letters in the New Testament, uh, the writer is writing about uh, the Holy Spirit. There's that word holy again, right? But sometimes uh, it's referred to as Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's re referred to as the spirit of life. So it's as if God has gifted us this vitality, these vital energies, like life itself, but not just physiological life, right? Not just the fact that your body is here and it's working, but there's that deeper life in you that wants to be lived, right? And you know, you, you can think of, of times in your life, of practices and communities and experiences where you could sense that life was growing within you. And you can think of times, seasons, experiences, behaviors, where you could tell that eventually you, like you realized that life was diminishing within you, that it was dissipating. And maybe the call to be set apart or holy is a, is a call to make sure that we give our lives to the vital energies that we and others are here for, that we give our behaviors and our way of being in the world over to whatever increases that vitality. And maybe being set apart means that we opt out of or, or we even say no to the things that diminish or dissipate the life within us or others. Uh, may, maybe that's the set-apartness that we're talking about. Maybe there are things that we need to say no to, opt out of. Maybe there are places where we don't need to put ourselves. Maybe there are behaviors. Uh, you could go on and on, but but perhaps the invitation of being set apart is to say that um, we can either give ourselves to that which increases life within us and others, or we can perhaps unknowingly and unthinkingly give ourselves to the things that diminish life. And to be set apart is to be wide awake, aware, conscious of the fact that not everything is good for us or for others. Now, if that's true, then we might actually need to say no to some stuff. And like, that's the thing I, it can feel like kind of like, it can feel like the rules, but I'm not here to give rules today. Okay. Um, I'm just here to ask the question. If, if you got really tuned in, if you were wide awake and aware that there is a life that wants to be lived within you and some things are going to nurture that life and other things are going to diminish it. Well, then you'd want to say no to the things that diminish it, right? 
So like, let's talk about like a few example categories, right? Uh, let's talk about substances, right? Let's talk about whether it's uh, alcohol or drugs. I mean, there's lots of debates raging right now about uh, whether Christians should drink or whether they should smoke weed or whether these things are good or not. Uh, I'm not here to be like hyper prescriptive today, but I would just say that like, um, like it would be really fair to ask ourselves, right? Like not whether it's like allowable uh, to use any of those substances, but maybe a better question is like, like is, is that growing and supporting the vital energies within you and others or is it diminishing them? Right. I mean, we could ask the same thing about sex. Um, I like I have great conversations with my friends about sex. Um, my personal ethic on sex for me ends up looking like pretty darn traditional. I'll be honest, like pretty conservative. Um, but I also like, I, I resigned myself a long time ago from being a police officer in other people's lives. So my friends and I have these great conversations uh, about sex, for example, and they're really push me on it. And they'll be like, without like just dropping um, scriptures on me, can you make a case uh, for like your view of like where sex belongs? And the thing I've, I've said to a lot of friends is like, I'm not going to police your life, but I will tell you, it sure seems like attachment and commitment both work best when they're paired well, right? So if, if you have attachment in a relationship, but there's not commitment there that matches the attachment, a lot of hurt gets caused, right? I mean, that's just true. Like there's attachment theory and like we've learned that, right? Um, and if you have commitment without attachment, that can be really unfulfilling too, right? And it sure seems like sex is an attachment experience. And so it seems like uh, you would want like commitment that sort of mirrors the attachment, right? And it seems like when those get out of sync, um, it can be bad for us. It can diminish us. It can sort of dissipate uh, some of what we are here for. That's like my case on the, on the sex thing. Um, and I think like that's, that's my hunch about why the scriptures care a lot about sex. It, like that, not that it started out as like some like super rigid, legalistic, judgmental thing. But when you, when you read the Bible, you get the sense that the writers of these texts were highly tuned in and fiercely concerned about those, that vital spirit that's within us that we want to nurture and protect and like sort of grow up and bring to its full power in the world. And anything that wars against that, man, these texts get, get pretty, pretty fierce about uh, condemning because they're so fierce about protecting that kind of vital energy. Um, I'm not gonna tell you what to do with that today, but I bet you could ask every one of us, like whether you're married, single, uh, whether you're sexually active or not, like every one of us could ask ourselves, is the way that I approach sexuality, is it, um, like what's it doing for that life within me? You know, is it um, expressing it or diminishing it? Is it, um, yeah, and, and what's it doing for the life in others, right? Because uh, this is never just uh, for the individual. Uh, let's talk about work for a little bit, right? <laughs> let's talk about work. Now, look, I don't, I'm not one of those people who believes that we are all like entitled to a job that fulfills our wildest fantasies and deepest meaning. I, like, I'm just not sure that's the way that work works. It'd be great if it did. I'm not sure it does. But I do think uh, some of us could, could realize that maybe we've given ourselves to work that's really warring against our heart. Or maybe we've given ourselves to work that's warring against somebody else's heart, against our vitality or others. Um, if we're like really trying to take this category seriously, the word for that in the Bible might be 
unholy. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but it's just anytime anything is named unholy, the invitation is, well, then find a way to opt out of that, right? Because that life that wants to be lived within you and with others is so sacred that it's worth fighting for. So we could ask lots of questions about the work that we do and the, and the way we do our work. Um, we could talk about relationships with like friends and whether not just the friends we have, but the, the way that we approach our friends. Are, are we relating in a way that nurtures these vital energies within us or not? We could talk about gossip. How about that for another example? Is the way that we talk to one another and about one another, um, does it expand the most noble parts of us or doesn't it? And if it doesn't, maybe the word for that is unholy and, and maybe that's a, a calling to opt out of the things that diminish that vital life within us and other people. What about disregard for our neighbors? It's easy to think that like we leave disconnected, but man, right now, uh, with the spread of the COVID pandemic and everything going on, it's like we have this brilliant awakening moment to realize we are all deeply connected. And so if if I'm disregarding the flourishing of my neighbors, if I'm doing things that actively hurt them, or if I'm participating in systems that diminish them, or if I'm just apathetic toward other people as if my own flourishing could really, could really exist uh, without the flourishing of other people, maybe that's unholy. And maybe, maybe the call to be holy is like to be invited to opt out of our way of being in the world if it diminishes other people. What about fear? Um, now, I'm not here to, hey, if you're afraid right now, if you're anxious right now, I am not here to, to jump on you. I really promise that. However, I think a lot of us need to reckon with the fact that we, like we consume a lot of things right now that trade in fear. Um, like there's a lot of entertainment. There's, and by entertainment, I mean cable news. Um, there's a lot of feeds on social media. There's just a lot of ways that we can nurture fear within us. But you better believe that fear, like when we, when we coddle it, right? When we, when we cultivate it in our hearts, um, man, don't, don't we know that that war is against that vital life within us that wants to live? And if that's the case, then like maybe it's unholy. And if it's unholy, maybe we ought to find a way to opt out of it and stop nurturing it and instead meditate on the things that help us be brave and generous and loving. Now, um, everything going on right now, like with uh, the pandemic that's spreading and the measures that are being taken to try to prevent it, I was thinking about that and this big idea. And I don't want to be delicate with this metaphor here because I don't want to like use the news for uh, a cheap point. But I, but I actually think that what we have going on right now is a sort of powerful reminder. And what's going on right now, right, is we have this disease that's spreading. And it's, it's really dangerous for some. And it, th it literally threatens the vitality of some people, right? So what are we doing? Well, we're, we're all opting out, right? I mean, we're, we're setting ourselves apart uh, from group behaviors and exchanges that increase the likelihood of the spread of the disease. And the reason that we're doing it is because we want to be good neighbors. We want to take care of each other. I'm not holed up in my basement right now, like for my sake, like I'm in the demographic 
that is probably going to be fine with COVID, right? Like worst case, from what I understand, it probably hits me like a flu and I'll, you know, have a few days of sickness. I'm, I'm in my basement right now uh, because I understand that like we need to start practicing behaviors that look out for everyone. And that's really important right now to diminish uh, the risk of serious illness and death for those who could be hurt the most. So like, like we're changing our behavior. We're, we're doing like pretty radical stuff because we believe um, that the safety of others matters and it wouldn't be appropriate for us to keep on going with business as usual when we know that business as usual will war against the life of some. That actually seems like a, uh, I think a, a pretty good picture of what the scriptures are talking about. Not to be afraid, not that we have to all run away from each other, but, but when you realize that business as usual in your personal life or in our life together is actually an adversary to the vitality and the flourishing of, of real life, well, then you would want to call a timeout and change direction, change your behavior, opt out of the things that increase the threat, right? Well, that seems to be the heartbeat uh, behind holiness if holiness is to be set apart for life, set apart for the sake of that vital spirit within us and others. Now, um, later in uh, this series on the podcast, or who knows, maybe back in a gathering soon, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how this doesn't mean that we like walk around with a fear of moral contamination. Um, a little teaser on that, but like, it's interesting when you look at Jesus, like he doesn't seem to have any fear about um, entering into those places that are sort of unclean or embracing people that according to the law, would make him unclean. Rather, he seems to have this deep knowing that it could work the other way. That when life and those things which diminish life, that when they come into contact with one another, that the life could be so powerful and beautiful that it would actually push back the things that diminish life rather than the things that diminish life defeating the life. That seems to be the... the uh, the way that Jesus lives. And of course, it's the way he dies, right? Uh, because in that moment on the cross, it looks like all those forces of evil, all the things that destroy life, it looks like they won. And then the resurrection proves that evil is actually a limited resource. It's a, it's a limited resource because it brought everything it had against him. And after it had exhausted everything it had, he comes out of the grave three days later. So this isn't about being afraid. This isn't about being afraid of contamination or any of that kind of stuff. Um, however, I bet most of us have realized from time to time in our lives that we went a long time doing something or participating that was diminishing us and we didn't realize it. Because the fact is like a, a lot of us, like we don't really have a great radar for what are the things that diminish the vital life within us and others and what are the things that nurture it. So like we need to enroll in a school, right? Like we need to learn some stuff. Uh, which is sort of how the scriptures talk about law, which is why like when you're, when you're figuring things out, you, you might need some fairly concrete practices. You might need to put some lines in the sand about what you're going to say no to. And yeah, who knows, maybe later in your life, maybe you'll grow up to a point where those lines don't have to be so rigid, but wouldn't you want to start by doing whatever it takes to nurture that vital energy with and you uh, and your neighbor and the people you love, Right. Now, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago about holiness as being present to the presence of God. 
And it strikes me that, um, that being present to the presence of God is one of the ways that we're going to get better at setting ourselves apart from the things that diminish that vital life within us and with, within others. So uh, right now, if you're like, great, what do I do with this? Well, like one thing you could do is like just ask yourself, like, take a little time. Think about the way you live your life right now. How do you spend your time, your energy? What does a week or a month in your life look like? Is there anything that's, that's a regular part of that life that isn't actually nurturing life? It's diminishing it. It's dissipating it. And if that's the case, what if you got really brave and creative about setting yourself apart from that, about opting out? And then if you're not sure uh, what it is that you would want to opt out of and what it is that you should nurture, like what if you just doubled down on this idea of being present to the presence of God? And perhaps by being present to the presence of God, if God is the source of that vital life within you that wants to live its way out of you, if, if, if God is where all of that is, is most sort of potent and clear, well, then becoming more present to the presence of God is like, it's certainly going to fortify our capacity to say no to the right things and, and yes to the right things, right? So maybe being present to the presence of God just means some solitude and some quiet. It can be really hard. I know. But I also just know that like all of the great spiritual teachers, like you're going to have a hard time finding one who doesn't uh, speak or embody the fact that some silence and solitude are really powerful places in which to encounter God. So maybe you look for a little bit of that this week. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's you find that Bible that's been sitting on the shelf. It's kind of dusty maybe. And maybe you just open up the Psalms and they don't have to, you know, you don't have to have like a hair raised in the back of your neck emotional moment of like profound encounter, right? That may not be it at all, but it may just be that um, by turning to some of those ancient prayers, maybe they become a sort of uh, training ground to slowly turn your presence to the presence of God, right? Uh, maybe it's music. Um, maybe there's certain music that feels like more than entertainment for you. You can tell that it kind of grabs your heart and ushers it into a, an, a wide open space and you just have this sort of vague sense that it's in that wide open space that the music brings your heart to where you where you you sense God or you know God, right? I mean, we could go on and on, but um, if this vitality comes from God uh, and if, if holiness sometimes means being set apart from the things that diminish that vitality, then perhaps being present to the presence of God is going to fortify our ability to say yes to the right things and no to the right things. And then maybe we will discover that when the scripture says, be holy as God is holy, it's not some pious little prescription for good Christians. It's not about some rules that you follow. It's not about legalism or behavioralism. It's not some confusing category that like doesn't make any sense in the real world, but rather it's this living, breathing invitation to attend to that vital life within you that wants to be lived. Sound good? Um, Man, okay, I got to tell you guys, I'm so sad I can't talk to you face to face because this is the moment where I would hope you would talk back to me. But I'm, I'm just going to trust um, that at least a couple of you, you're in your car right now, uh, you're in your living room, uh, you got your AirPods in at the gym, and I hope you're feeling it. And uh, maybe you're offering a little kind of silent yes wherever you are right now. Uh, we'll keep this going on for a while, gang. As long as that we can't gather in person, we'll keep the podcast showing up on Sunday mornings for you. Also, very excited about uh, some other stuff that we're going to try to add to the podcast feed over the next few weeks. Some supplemental content uh, just to help us keep uh, hearing from one another 
while we can't be together in person. Um, as always, Sap and City Church, I love you very much, and grace and peace be with you.